pastor here at Urban Grace, and we're starting a new series in Nehemiah called Magna Civitas. I pulled that out of uh, kind of my back in the day. <laughs> That's how old I am, back in the day. Back in the day, I used to love Latin phrases. And uh, when I found out what, what uh, Magna Civitas meant, I thought it would be a great catch for our series. It's literally Latin for great city. Um, and it kind of goes backwards and forwards. That's what's so cool about it. If you, if you go to Google Translator and you do Magna Civitas or Civitas Magna, you'll get great city or big city. So I was like, great big city. It's perfect for our series. Um, and coming off of what I think we've learned in Galatians about the gospel, it's really a perfect book for us to go through because it's all about what happens when God's people gather and get on fire to rebuild his city. Uh, we'll get into that in a bit. Um, we've made some cards for you, some bookmarks. If you're uh, like a neat nick underliner, they've got a wonderful straight edge for you. Or if you're a planner, this is for you. So you can put this right in Google calendars or your, if anyone still actually writes this stuff down, you can do that as well. Um, but we want you to know what's coming because we've got a lot of stuff that we're going to join in with our city groups um, Again, if you're new, let me explain it like this. Uh, we do really two things here at Urban Grace. Lots of people say, well, let's announce or let's start other things. And really, we've decided to try to keep it as simple as possible. Uh, we do big and we do small. That's how we describe it here. We do big. Uh, this is big. This is where we all gather. This is where perhaps if you're brand new to church or you're brand new to Jesus, you come and you check it out and you figure out, is this a mission that Jesus is calling to? And so you, you, we, we do this big. We worship together. We take the Lord's table together. We sing together. We meet one another for maybe the first time. But really, if this is the only place that you experience urban grace, we think you're missing to connect a lot of things that we're doing in the big to the small. We do that anyways. Each week we study what goes on in the message in our small group, our city group. But we're also going to have activities that are enjoyable. Who said church had to be boring or frustrating? Um, we want to make it exciting for you to be part of a small group, a city group. And so if you're not, fill out one of these things. We call them connect cards. Um, they look white and they say connect on them. They should be easy to spot. Uh, you can fill out there all kinds of information about yourself, um, your, your phone number, uh, email there, whether you want to get connected, whether you just want to talk about Jesus, whether all this is new for you, any way you shake it, uh, that's a way that I think we want to make available to connect with you. So, uh, I have a feeling I'm going to lose my voice. So if one of the ushers would be so kind to bring me a glass of water, that would be awesome. And uh, let's pray as we begin. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love for the city. Thank you for drawing us here even this morning. Thank you for taking something that in every way was a dream a few years ago into gospel-believing church. Thank you for growing this church like you have, Jesus. Thank you for your graciousness and your favor. Thank you for this amazing facility. We couldn't design it better in my mind. Jesus, thank you for the, just the graciousness of the way you've acted toward us. Teach us to be humble and, and open-handed with that, Jesus. This is, this is your deal. 
This is your church. You get to do what you want. But Holy Spirit, would you come in power today that we would feel your presence. We wouldn't just hear about it. We would feel it in our hearts. And we would know that you had met us here, Jesus. We know this is bold, but you told us to pray boldly, Jesus. So we are this morning. We're praying boldly that you show your face to us. Show your glory to us. Show your power. Show your mission to us. That we may simply join in and enjoy what you are doing in our city and in our lives. We ask this in your awesome and holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Elise. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay, well, to be honest, I have, uh, I've cried a lot over this text. Uh, there's a reason for that. It's not just because I'm a wimp. It's because uh, about four years ago, I, I prayed this prayer. This message, although it may not mean a ton to you, means a lot to me. I've been waiting almost six years to preach it, just so you know. Have you ever wanted to tell somebody something for six years? Anyone? Like, remember your high school crush? I had one. I wanted to tell her for six years. Turns out she doesn't like me. What a disappointment, right? I'm hoping that's not going to be the case today, that when I tell you something that I've wanted to share with you guys and with my church, that you won't receive it that way, that you will, too, be moved by this. This is, so that this is kind of like autobiographical, deeply personal, uh, one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture, and exciting all at the same time. I'm kind of like hyperapt. Hyperactive. So when I came in this morning, like I had a number of people, let's say, I better not stand close to you in in case they're going to get a punch in the face because you look like you're just jumping and bouncing around. And inside I am. I had a hard time sleeping last night. So I'm not even counting how long this is going to go. Sorry. Yeah, those who are part of Urban Grace know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, we're, we're, we're in the book of Nehemiah. This is a great, great book. This is a book that I think is built for churches, church planters. It's built for cities like our city. This, I, I think when, when Jesus designed Scripture, He said, this is a book that I am going to use mightily to help churches go into places where there's just brokenness. We're, we're, that's all we're going to talk about this morning. There's kind of one main point, but I, I can't get you there. What I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to give you some background. I'm going to have to talk about some other things that maybe aren't in the text, but are implied in the text. And they're really part of our the name of our church. You see, Urban Grace Church isn't just a name for me. It's the way we do ministry. Okay, this is so key to what we're doing. We are urban. That means we're in the city. It's, it, this is not an accident. We had other opportunities to use free buildings outside of what we would say kind of the inner core. And we said, no, we want to be deliberately urban. That's what you'll find on our website about us. We think this is an important place. It's not more important than the rest of the city, but I do think that it's more strategic than the rest of the city. It's amazing that without hardly any advertising of what we're doing, people notice what's going on at Urban Grace. I don't think that's just because you tell your friends about Urban Grace. I think it's because we have chosen to be in the city, and this is the way God makes cities. So we're going to talk about the city a lot in this series. 
I, I literally, someone said, how's it going? Do you have a message prepared? I said, I have eight messages prepared and I have to bring it down to one message. So for those of you who wanted to watch playoff football this afternoon, tough. Thank Jesus for PVR. This is why he made PVR. We're going to talk about the grace of Jesus because really, if we care greatly about our city and we want to serve our city, but we don't have the gospel, we don't have anything to bring them. We just have a bunch of good ideas. And to be honest, as I look around at our city, there are people that don't love Jesus doing a way better job of blessing this city. So we can't just bring them good deeds. We can't just bring them good works. We must bring them the grace of Jesus Christ. We must tell them that the gospel is good news because it is good news. We have to know what the gospel is and we'll talk about that. And if you're unaware of what the gospel is, it's this simple. Jesus Christ died for your sins in your place so that he could pay the price for your sins, perfectly satisfy the wrath of God in his death and resurrection and put you on his mission to tell everyone in the world about that good news. That's the gospel short form. Now, it's not just that simple. It's, it's actually multifaceted. But really, if, if you had to... The, the, when Paul, in, in, the Apostle Paul was quoting, he's like, what's the gospel? That's what he said it was. But the gospel, that's the power of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel takes a long time to be drawn out. Because Jesus didn't just come. He didn't just die to give life insurance. He came to give you a life mission that would one day culminate in, this is crazy, a holy city. That's what he said. When Jesus talked about the end, when it was all accomplished, what he said was, you're going to see an awesome city coming out of heaven. An awesomely built city. I built this city through you. That's the image he has. And if we don't get that now, I'm, I'm afraid we'll do horrible city building. We will not bring our city anything that it needs. It already has everything that it thinks it needs. But what it doesn't have, it seems like, as I look around, and this is what breaks my heart, is no one seems to want to believe the gospel anymore. Now, there are people who are Christians. But here's my heart. Not enough. It's that simple. There's not enough people that love Jesus in this city. There's not enough churches that are on mission. There's not enough churches that think that want to seek the welfare of the city and bless the city. And we can't just do it in some sort of social club. We can't just do it in some sort of ministry. Jesus gave that church. He didn't say, upon this parachurch ministry, I will build my... He didn't say, upon the gates of hell, I will build my parachurch ministry or my sidebar nonprofit, he said, on the church, I'm going to kick in Satan's teeth. That's how I'm going to do it. With the church, look around. This is what God's gift to us, to kick in the doors of the kingdom of darkness. You, me, everyone here. Still, I'm a little fired up, right? <laughs> so I'm like, whoa, that's not even my introduction. I'm just, I'm, I'm, Yeah. Settle down. We need some seatbelts in this place. So that's what we're about. That's what this series is about. Urban Grace Church. Someone says, what's your church about? Just remember the name and then play it out for people. 
eventually. Like when we started this thing, I said it so many times that after a while, people just started repeating it back to me. It was awesome. It's amazing what repetition does. It's kind of like one of those pop songs on the radio, right? That you just hear enough times and eventually you're mumbling it, even though you hate the song. You're still mumbling it because it's so repetitive. Here's the great thing about the gospel. It's good news all the time, but we're going to repeat it so often that eventually you're not going to have to take a class on evangelism. You're simply going to be able to know it because you hear it so much. So let's get into Nehemiah. What's Nehemiah about? What? This is strange, Trev. You're talking about Urban Grace Church and you're going to a book that's over 2,500 years old. I know. Awesome, hey? If, if you don't know where Nehemiah is, go to the book of Psalms. It's, it's easier to find and then turn left. It's just a, a, a couple of books left of Nehemiah. And all we're going to do is we're going to read the first four, four verses and then we're going to talk about this. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Halkali. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And our, 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 our Bible translators, I think, did us a disservice in separating these two things because the next verse is so key to what's going on. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. See, I got a verse for weeping, by the way. And mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's stop there. What, what's, what's this all about? We gotta, we gotta kinda go back here. And we kinda gotta under some, understand some things about Nehemiah. We gotta understand some things about his time. We gotta understand some things about the story of God. I don't know if you noticed this, but basically there are two chapters in the Bible where people are good. You know, it's, you know the phrase, people are generally good people. There's only a few bad people. That's the worst, worst knowledge ever. There are two chapters in the Bible where we're good. The rest, we're trying to catch up. And we need help. We need a Savior. And this is the repetitive problem of God's people. God says, here, clean slate. Why don't you obey me? Okay, I'll obey you. Two seconds later, they sin. God gives them grace, forgives them, puts them back on track and says, I want you to obey me. And the people say, okay, I'll obey you. Two seconds later, they sin. And they're back in the same rut. And eventually, eventually their hearts get so hardened by sin, they just are so used to disobeying God. And, and God, is, who is so gracious, just doesn't immediately punish His people. And so they just get, like you and I, we get soft. We get comfortable. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sinned once and God didn't strike you dead? So you're like, well, maybe I'll sin again and ask forgiveness again because God's not going to do that much. And you do it again and again and again. And you're like, wow, God's really... He doesn't even exist. I didn't die from this, so I'll just keep on doing it. This is not a good idea. Don't do that. The Bible clearly shows us that eventually God says, you aren't serious about what you're saying. You don't want my forgiveness. You want to be your own God. And God loves His children, and as a good God, He disciplines His children. If you're a good parent, you discipline your children. Right? You feel this when you go into Walmart. 
right? And you look at all the terrible children. You're like, those are horrible parents who have no idea how to discipline. If I was a parent, oh, parents are just getting so soft these days. That's what you say, right? All the single people are like, totally. Parents are so soft. When I'm a parent, I'm totally going to discipline my kids because that's what a good parent does. And it's true. That's what a good parent does. Kids, listen carefully. That's what good parents do. They discipline. They mean it when you say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Well, not physically, but maybe mentally. Because that's what good parents do. Because they know if I discipline now and you get it straight now, when you're on your own, you're going to have something in place that helps you understand it properly. Because if you're disciplined at home and you understand how discipline goes, when the cops come by and say, you can't do this, you get it. You're like, oh yeah, totally. My parents disciplined me. If you don't, you're like, what the? I thought I could do whatever I wanted. That's not how life works, by the way. FYI, spoiler alert. And so this is the history of God's people. They're just, they, they just get in this rut of sinning and sinning and sinning. And God finally sends some prophets. He sends some preachers. And these, this is what he tells the preachers. Warn them that I'm going to discipline them. Warn them. Tell them, pay attention, please, please, please t- pay attention. And so you see books like Jeremiah. It's like, hey, guys, like, seriously, pay attention. Yet prophets like Moses, leaders like Moses, pay attention. Yet kings like David, pay attention, pay attention. And it's not working. People are getting soft. They're taking God's grace for granted. And so God says, I'm going to do this. And every good parent does this, right? We we have this saying in our house, if you're going to discipline someone... Either kid, if you're going to say something, follow through. Make sure you do it. Is that not good parenting advice? I mean, what, have you ever had a parent who did that to you? If you guys don't shape up, we're not having Christmas. Yeah, right. And they don't follow through and you're like, you don't mean what you say. Right? God's a good parent. When he says, I'm going to discipline my children if you don't shape up, he actually means it. And he has way more resources than your parents ever did. And so this is what happens. God says, I'm going to discipline you for 70 years. You got to build the city of God. You got to build this temple and enjoy my presence. But don't take this for granted. Don't ignore. Don't neglect my holiness. And they didn't believe him. They said, yeah, right, God. Look at our crops. They're growing awesome. You're the provider of that. Why would you provide us these great gifts if it weren't for our awesome attitudes? And God says, no, your attitude, your hearts are terribly corrupt. You don't really care about me. And eventually he sends them into exile. This is how God does it. He brings in their enemy. He brings in big, bad Babylon. And he says to Babylon, you got my permission to go in and wreck everything. It's kind of like God, you know, it's like me telling Dinah, uh, who is my oldest daughter, that she can go in and destroy Eve's room as punishment and discipline. <laughs> I mean, down to be like, that is awesome. That is a great job description. Eve would hate it, right? And they would fight. And this is kind of what happened. But people are thinking Babylon's the enemy. They're not realizing this is God's activity for discipline. And so God sends them into what I would call the 70-year spanking. Because that's kind of how it feels. Okay, for 70 years. And, and what Babylon does is they take everyone out of, of the, uh, the Jewish population that's of any value at all. All the young urban professionals, 
all the leaders, all the people with gifts, and he gives them full ride scholarships into the school, University of Babylon. And says, you guys get a full ride. And so in, in every way, it didn't just Babylon just didn't take away Jewish people in like chains. Like some of us have this idea that this is, you know, God just, you know, they kind of trudged like this all the way to Babylon. It's not really how it went. A, they didn't have Converse All-Stars, so that's out. But they didn't do that. He just kind of took them out and he took all the important people. He just left their culture in shambles. I mean, great depiction of it, right? This is kind of what it was. They had a great city, great city walls. Great city walls means protection. It means you can defend something. It gives you a sense of civic pride. Hey, we got a city. We got a city and God took it all away from them and took the temple away from them, the place that they had access to God and no one else did. He took it all away for 70 years. And 70 years go by and and eventually God says, okay, Babylon, Hand the belt back to me. You're done spanking Israel. And people move back. Immediately, about 50,000 people, 50,000 Jews move back. And they move back into the city. But what do they find? They find this, minus the little gospel lettering. They find shambles. You ever been out in out in the country and you see an old farm that's just been run down for like 30, 40 years? About a mile from our house, we had an old sod house. Sod is apparently amazing because it's lasted about 100 years. But all of the wood has rotted where, where they had wood inside the sod. It's just in shambles. Like you couldn't live in there. There's nothing really left but just kind of like foundations. You, you kind of just have to knock it all down and start over again. And so that's what these 50,000 Jews go back into. And, and there's a prophet named Ezra who comes in and he says, okay, we're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to rebuild the walls. And it falls flat on its face. And from the time that Babylon sacked Jerusalem to the time that we get to our text in Nehemiah, it's about 141 years. 141 years between those two. Now, pay attention carefully to the text. Who's Nehemiah? Well, he's living the high life, to be honest. He's living in the capital city of Persia who comes next in the line. So Persia's the one who kicked Babylon out and took the belt away. From Babylon. So Babylon rises to power, and then Persia comes along and knocks Babylon out. Now Persia is the most important country, the most important nation. And this is where Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is the right hand person, he's the cupbearer to the king. Do you know what a cupbearer is? In see, this is this is why we have wine and juice, because we believe wine has always existed. And a cupbearer, what they did for the king was, before the king would taste the wine, the cupbearer would taste the wine. In case it was poisoned, so that instead of the king dying, the cupbearer would die. And if the cupbearer did not die, then the king would have wine. Pretty important job, right? Little pretty, basically your executive assistant. (laughs) If you want to get to the king, you got to go through Nehemiah. He's in Susa, the capital city in Persia. He's got a really important job. He has great connections. He knows the king. I mean, he shares a glass with the king. He's an important person. This is like someone who would work for maybe, I I don't want to say Stephen Harper because I don't know if he's the most important, (laughs) most powerful person in our nation. He might be the most important, but maybe not the most powerful. But that kind of idea, and that's where Nehemiah, he hears in, in about October, for some reason, he asks 
Hananiah, said, one of my brothers, the Hebrew word there for, for brother could be like actual kinsmen. So blood relations are like someone really tight. You have a buddy like that? They're tighter than a, a brother? Yeah, that kind of idea. Either way, it doesn't really matter. One of my brothers, he says, hey, how's my hometown? Now, it's weird for him to kind of say, how's Jerusalem doing? Because Nehemiah is actually a Jew. So Nehemiah very likely, in fact, I'm positive, he did not live during the time that the Jerusalem was sacked. He was born after that. So all he would know is kind of this history. So basically what we're saying here is Nehemiah's whole life is filled with knowing that his true hometown, his city, has never recovered from getting knocked over by Babylon, ever. He's so familiar with this. He knows this. And this is what's so unusual about this text. As he says, how's my hometown doing? And then they tell him basically what he should already know for 140 years. Now, some commentators, I couldn't find a commentator who said that he knew this for, for his whole life. But they said he's probably referring to like when Ezra tried to resurrect the, the uh rebuilding project and nothing happened and it fell flat on his face. But even that was like 14 years ago. So what's weird is that Nehemiah hears this, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Yeah. Same old, same old. Gates are destroyed by fire. Yeah. Wood does not last a fire. That makes sense. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. There's something strange going on here. Nehemiah knows that this city has been in shambles for over 141 years. And yet when he hears these words, as soon as I heard these words, I broke down and I wept. What's going on here? I think a lot of things. Here's what I think really happened. Nehemiah got the glimpse of Jesus' heart for that city. Nehemiah, somehow, he didn't know it was Jesus. He would just know it as God, maybe an impulse, maybe a movement of the Spirit. But he didn't know that Jesus implanted his heart inside of Nehemiah, his broken heart for the city at that time. And that's what happened. And he wept for days and continued fasting. We, we, we pick up the story later. It turns out he did this for three or four months. Now, again, this is really strange. 141 years ago, if I said to you, if I walked up to you this morning, I'm like, big news today. Big news. Canada just became a country. You'd be like, mm, hate to break it to you. It's pretty old news. And I, I broke down. I went, this is amazing. Canada became a country finally. You'd be like, Trev, what is wrong with you? But this is what happened to Nehemiah. It hit him in such a way that his heart snapped in half. And only God's work in his life would bring it together. Only doing something about it. And we're going to talk all about that. But before we even get there, what I want to talk to you about is, is this whole idea of the theme throughout this is going to be rebuilding a city. And you say, well, why, why are we talking about rebuilding a city? What about do, doing you know, like planting churches or sharing Jesus with people. Here's what's amazing about Nehemiah. That as God calls Nehemiah 
to rebuild the city. He calls God's people back to rebuild their lives. But God doesn't separate these two. He actually brings them very close together. And as he brings this idea of rebuilding a city, although it's a construction project, he actually does a construction project in their hearts. So chapters 1 to 7 are all about rebuilding the wall. And here's what's accomplished. In 52 days, Nehemiah leads the charge to accomplish something that hadn't been done in 141 years. That is amazing. If we built this theater in 52 days, the whole city would be buzzed. How did you guys do that? We can't even get an email into City Hall in 52 days. And the last half of Nehemiah is about what God starts to do in the hearts of the people. And so you see both, and there's a lot of time that passes, and the people lose focus. And so that's why we're going to take about five months. My hope is that by the end of these five months, you will know how to preach through Nehemiah. That you get so familiar with this talk about the city that you can explain it to people. And you know why you're here. That's a big part of what we're going to do. Let's talk about cities for a bit. Because this is what what Nehemiah is crushed about. He's crushed about this broken city. Why? Why? Why is he crushed about a broken city? Well, what's interesting is that as the city goes, so goes the culture. I grew up on the farm. So I'm not talking to someone who's an outsider. I'm not negative against anyone who's from a farm. I'm from a farm. I grew up in the country. But really, as the city goes, so goes the culture. Did you know that in the province of Alberta, there are about 3.3 million people? Did you know that over 2.5 million of those live in two cities? Two-thirds of our province lives in two cities. You don't think if both those cities were completely enamored with the gospel of Jesus Christ that it could completely change our province? Absolutely. Absolutely. This isn't like a more important. This isn't like we're better than them. This is just the way God made it. That cities are such that they just congregate people. And like if you think of a city on a graph, this is how a city looks. The city core is kind of like the point and everything kind of moves out from the city. Now again, lots of you live in suburbs. We're happier there. Lots of you live even outside the city. That's fine. I'm not here to pick a fight. I'm just here to say, this is how cities work. This is why we're here. This is why we wanted to plant at the top of the pinnacle. Because we understand that if you want to clean out a river, you've got to get all the way upstream to the source. And the way cities work is, the closer the city, the core, the greater the source. Because it's here where all the culture is made. That's why some of you moved here. Because you're like, this is where the most cultural part of the city is. This is where the music is. This is where the work is. Some of you don't live in the city, but you work in the city. Because that's where you find work. Some of you, when you want to recreate and and, um, eat, where do you come in? You come into the city. We want to have coffee and go to the cool coffee shops. Most of them are where? In the city. Starbucks changed a little bit of that. As the city goes, the culture goes, Nehemiah knew that. As the city, the key city of Jerusalem goes, so goes all of Israel. If, 
if the city of Jerusalem is in shambles, Israel's in shambles. That's how it goes. Secondly, cities are primarily defined by two factors, density and diversity. You may have heard some of this stuff before. That's fine. What really makes up a city, why why a city is called a city is because it's more diverse and more dense than anywhere else in culture. There are more different kinds of people in the city. Have you noticed that? As the closer in you go, the more different kinds of people. As you walk through Kensington, open your eyes up. Most of the time you're like, that's a weird way to wear that thing. That's what you find here. You also find density. We experienced this personally. When we chose to live in the city, we basically kind of dropped, well, we didn't necessarily drop our square footage, but we doubled our rent for the same square footage. That's what happens because the cost of living gets higher in the city. Why? Because it's just more influential place to live. You have more opportunities you do here deep within the city than you generally do in the suburbs because you don't need a car to survive here. That's, that's another way that cities are defined. A city really is a walkable human settlement. So I want you to begin to think like this. Where are the, the city locations? Where are the urban locations in our, in, our, in our larger city? I'm not just talking like Calgary city limits. Okay, I'm talking about walkable human settlements. What do I mean by walkable? Well, most of us won't walk for more than 15 minutes, but about 15 minutes uh, walk from where you can work, where you can eat, where you can go to school, where you can sleep and where you can have fun. That's what really kind of starts to define a city. Again, these other places aren't more important, but I would, aren't less important, but I would say they are less strategic in some ways. And this is why the rent in a place here costs more. Because more people want to be here. More people will see this place. More people will come in contact with this theater. There are a lot of people that aren't here that know exactly what's going on at Urban Grace. Why? Because of the way the city works in its density and walkability. I don't know if you notice this, but start watching. Uh, the, the word city is mentioned 1,250 times in the Bible. Did you know that? In comparison to the word Trinity, what is that? Do you know how many times Trinity is mentioned in the Bible? It's not. It's zero versus 1250. Now, I'm not saying the Trinity is, is less than. Please don't hear me say that. I'm saying this is a major theme in Scripture. This comes out again and again. It's not just like this city did this, this city did this. But you actually, when you begin to look at it, you begin to see God says, Woe to that city! And he says, I'm doing a work in this city. When Paul wrote letters to the church in Corinth, he didn't write to like First Baptist Church in Corinth. He wrote to the city of Corinth. The church in the city. He saw it as one church. And the movement, if you look carefully, the movement of all of Scripture, if you take the storyline of Scripture, goes from a garden to a city with a big garden in it. It's really cool when you look at that. So Genesis 1, what does God create for people to live? A garden. And he says, multiply a lot. Adam was like, sweet. Cain, first thing he did when he left the garden was start to build a city. 
And then it, it started to go bad from there. Because does anyone know the story of Tower of Babel? That's a pretty famous story. Did you know that actually that story is not about the Tower of Babel, but the city of Babel? That that's what the text says? That the people were trying to build a city that would glorify themselves and they just put a big tower in it? I'm like, this kind of feels like every city that I know. Like, isn't that, wasn't that the idea behind the bow tower to build the tallest building in the best city you could find? To what? To glorify who? Like, it's, it's a repetitive theme in scriptures that we're so addicted to ourselves that all we seem to want to do once we left the garden was build our own city that glorified ourselves. And here's what happens in Revelation 21. God says, I'm going to build city the right way. I'm going to show you how to build it. And it's going to come out. And, and this city is going to be awesome. I talked about this one time. It was so much fun. This beautiful city with literally hundreds of mountain ranges in it. A city that is so big. In, in, in Revelation, it's described as about 3,000 kilometers by 3,000 kilometers. So try to get your brain around this. That's like Vancouver to Winnipeg to Florida to New Mexico. That's a big city. It's got all walls around and has a big garden green space in the middle. That's how the kingdom of God, when it's fully laid out, is going to look like. I mean, it's just an awesome picture. An awesome picture. Paul's missionary strategy, when you look in uh, the New Testament, what does he do? He actually goes from city to city to city to city to city. That's how he does his missionary movement. So after he leaves Jerusalem, a city, he goes to the next city. And what happened was he didn't plant churches in every little place he found. He went to the largest major center he could find, the most influential place, which was the city he went to the center of the city, the most urban parts of that city, tried to plant a church there. And when he did, he said, now that church has been reached because I know from this place, what will radio out is people will just plant churches from there because he understood this. That's how cities work. Some of this is just kind of science. Like I'm not getting a lot of this from Christians. I'm getting this from people who are not Jesus lovers. And they just say, this is just how cities work. So it makes perfect sense that Paul would do this. And what happened because Paul had that strategy is the, the world at the time went from no Christians at the time of Jesus in A.D. 33 to 50% Christian of the known world. 350 million Christians in 350 years. That's a movement, my friends. That's a movement. And it happened because Paul strategically targeted cities. My heart's for Calgary, friends. My heart's for this city. Why Calgary? Because I think this city is going to be a great city. I think it already is. I think what it needs is just more people that love Jesus. I just think it needs more gospel saturation. Calgary on the world stage is the 32nd most livable city in the entire world. We got... Two other Canadian cities in that mix. There are countries that don't even have cities in the top 100, friends. When 
when most of you are here because you came because this is where work was and you got a great paying job in this city. How many moved here because of work? Right? How many moved here because you just want to be part of the city? Only like one. <laughs> We're a city that's filled with opportunity. We have people all the time that kind of like, why are you here? That's one of my major questions, a get-to-know-you question after. I'll probably ask it if you're new. It's like, hey, what brings you to Urban Grace? Well, I found work here, so I'm here. And now I'm looking for a church. I'm here because when I began to look at this city... And I prayed this prayer, Jesus, break my heart for the city. I began to see there's just not gospel here like there could be. Statistically, church planters and church growth people will say that if you really want gospel saturation in a city, you should have one church for every 1,000 people. And I used to think like, oh, there's lots of big churches in this city. That's very true. We have lots of mega churches in our city. Some of the largest churches in all of Canada are in this city. And actually, I, I think that, that lopsides our numbers quite a bit. Because I think, I, I was talking with someone, I think there's only about 45,000 people in this city who actually go to church. That's a pretty general estimate of a pretty general description of church. And so I actually did this. I went online and I looked... I looked into the urban core, and I'm, by urban core, I'm going like about 16th Ave and about 20th Ave Southwest, Crowchild, the zoo. That's kind of what I'm considering urban core. You can fight me about that. That's fine. We're still trying to figure this out. But in that section of the city, there are 108,000 people, maybe 40 churches, maybe 50, if you count some of the house churches, which I'm fine to do. That means if we wanted to saturate this city with the gospel, the urban core, we're about what? 60 churches short just to keep up. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are 300 more people going up in this building or 200 more people or 150 whatever here. Condos. Over there, there's another 200. In two years, they're going to knock down some buildings and another 200. Over in Hillhurst, they're knocking some four houses in a row and they're building condos after condos after condos. You go over to 17th Ave and it's just going up and up and getting denser and denser and denser. And it's just going to increase the number. Where are the churches, my friends? Of those 40 to 50 churches, at least a third of those did not have a workable website. I'm trying not to be critical here, but it was awful. Like there were churches that were bragging that none of their service was in English. What? That's your secret sensitivity? You don't have a single word of your service in English? What's more, it's in a language that no one has spoken for a thousand years? That's what I'm considering part of those churches. Here's my question for us. Here's where the tears come. Does this bother you? Did you show up here going, I'm so happy I have a great church and all those other stupid people haven't discovered my church yet? Or does it bother you that there aren't gospel-loving churches in the urban core? 
Does it bother you that within maybe a five-minute walk, there are a number of churches that openly say, we don't believe the gospel. Don't bring it anywhere near us. Does it bother you that people aren't going to these churches and they're empty museums? I walked, we walked around on Tuesday, me and my buddy Pete. We walked around to do some actual real research, which by the way, we're calling you to be involved in soon for yourself. We walked by a beautiful church building in the downtown core that did not exist as a place to worship Jesus anymore, but was a practice facility for Calgary Opera. A beautiful building that would probably hold 500 to 1,000 people in one service. And my question for us is, does this break your heart? Does this cause you anguish? Does this bother you? See, I think it's a lot like Nehemiah. 141 years, he just always heard the news. And we just always figured, oh yeah, those churches are rotten. They're terrible. They don't love Jesus. They don't know how to attract young people. They don't know this. You know, I'm so glad I'm part of a good church instead of part of a bad church. I think this text is calling us to ask for this heart of Nehemiah. And for some of you, you don't, you quite frankly don't care. You could care less whether other churches in this city are successful for Jesus. You only care about your church. I love what's going on here, friends. (coughs) I'm so honored to be part of this. But God is changing my heart to say, those are my churches too. When you scoff at those churches, my heart's breaking. I mean, no offense to opera, but when opera's more sustainable than the gospel, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. And here's what happens to Nehemiah. He breaks. He gets the heart of Jesus just broken. And as soon as he hears these words, he sits down and he weeps. This happened to me. I was stupid enough to pray that prayer. I said, Jesus, break my heart for this city. Like your heart is broken for the city. And I could almost audibly hear the snap. I could hear Jesus saying, oh, don't ask that if you're not serious about it. And that's the first step, friends. We'll never reach this city if our heart is not broken for this city. We'll never do it. If you think you can be part of urban grace and just ride the wave and the shoulders of what's going on here, I don't think you can. I don't want you to. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen. If you're new to Jesus, we want to welcome you and give you lots of room to figure this out. But if you know Jesus and you would consider yourself on mission for Jesus, then friends, you're in disobedience if you're not asking for the broken heart for this city like Jesus' heart is for the city. 
and next week it's all about repentance. So I'm expecting about 20 of you to show up maybe. When we were figuring out whether to come into Calgary or not, I just asked Jesus to do this very thing. I said, Jesus, please break my heart. And he did. And I'm asking you to ask that. I'm asking you to ask this bold prayer. And I'm, I'm warning you. I'm, I'm saying this kindly, but nicely and lovingly. I'm warning you, don't you dare do this if you don't mean it. Don't you dare ask the Holy God to break your heart if you don't mean it. Because it's painful. Because you don't get to do everything you've always wanted to do anymore. You have to spend money on stuff that you never spent money before. You have to live in less space sometimes than you are used to. You have to give up some hobbies. You have to watch super messy lives. You have to live in anguish and going, how come this good news is not reaching people? Because it is good news. Jesus, what's happening? You'll have tension in your prayer life. You'll have a list of things that have not yet been answered. And you'll have to live with unanswered prayer for a while. You'll have faith, not just given to you, beaten into your skull. (laughs) Because you can't have your heart broken for the city. And not just long for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power through the gospel in your city. And it hurts. This is what happened to Jesus. Jesus, He's wrapping up His ministry in Luke 13. He's healing people. People are repenting and believing. And here's what happens. Luke 13. Sorry, that's Mark. Luke 13, he says this. It's like Jesus comes over the hill. It's like he comes out from Okotoks or from... from, Have you ever come in the city from Okotoks and just seen the big orange glow at night? Ever come in from Strathmore and just kind of been overwhelmed by the bigness of Calgary? Ever come in from the north on QE2 and just look at the skyline and just kind of go, wow, it's a big city. And so I imagine Jesus did that with Jerusalem. It wasn't that big. And this is what he said. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and and, and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. He knew where he was going. Then he says this. And you can hear his pain. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing See, Jesus' vision for the city was this great city that everyone would come and learn about God. And do you hear what that's saying in the text? He's saying, they won't let God into my city. That's my city. That's where I wanted the gospel to radiate out from. And it will radiate out from this city. See, but right now they're rejecting God. And he says, oh, Jesus doesn't do this. I got lots of other cities I can choose. That's what we do, right? 
forget you guys. I'm going to Edmonton. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, no, not my city. Not my city. His heart breaks like Nehemiah's heart breaks. And as Nehemiah's heart is broken, we see that he does something about it. First thing he does is he prays and fasts. First thing he does. Not every church planter I know does this, including myself. I wanted to do something. You want to do something right now? You want to get up and like, I want to do something. Nehemiah doesn't. He says, God, continue to do something in my heart. Continue to press home. Continue to help me build a plan. Continue to help press this home. He weeps and he prays and he fasts for three to four months. And so what I'm going to call us all to do is simply pray and ask for this. I've asked four of my friends, I think. My friends Jay and Shauna. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone here, but my friends Jay and Shauna are going to represent the east side of Calgary. Did you know that when they first heard what Urban Grace was doing, they asked for this broken heart and had their heart broken for an area of the city that they felt needed more of the love of Jesus, and they moved there against just about everyone, including their family. You guys had some kickback even from your family. Are you sure you guys should do this? They're going to they're represent the east side of Calgary. I've asked um, my friend Charlotte, who's going to represent kind of Sunnyside Kensington, because she's part of our city group and my wife's in children's ministry. And uh, she's going to re- represent kind of the north and the northwest. So that's where she lives. That's what she's part of. I'm going to ask my friend Simon, who's part of the west side of the city. Simon's fairly new to the city, but is starting to really love the city, and it's really enjoyable. Simon's going to represent the west side, because here's what's going to happen. These areas are starting to fill up. It's amazing. We talk about the urban core a lot, and God is bringing us people from these different areas in the urban core. And then last, lastly, my buddy Pete's going to represent kind of the south half of downtown in that area that desperately needs... Have you been there lately? I mean, this is like Red Mile. This is like... This needs Jesus, this area of the city. Pete's going to represent kind of that south side of the core. And I'm going to have them just come up here after the service here. So we're going to sing. We're going to take the Lord's table together. We're going to repent together and give of our tithes and offerings to support the mission of Jesus here in the city. And then I'm just going to have them just stand up here. And if you feel like Jesus is saying, go to that area of the city, would you come and pray with those people? And maybe your heart isn't broken like mine is. Go to that area and pray for that heart. So I'm sorry, Jesus. I have not cared for my city the way you care for the city. Can you break my heart? And again, I'm warning you, don't do it. Unless you're serious. Unless you're ready for what God has. Because he'll probably ask you to do some things that you don't have an easy time doing. And so as we 
finish up our service, I want to remind you we have these two tables here representing the Lord's Supper. This is what Jesus gave to us, kind of like a family meal. You know how families get together, good families, healthy families get, and they gather around a family table and tell stories. Well, this is kind of our version of this, except we sing about Jesus. That's about the only difference maybe between our family and your family. And so as you come, I want you to take of the bread. I want you to take of the cup and be reminded that this is how badly Jesus' heart was broken for the cities of this world. He said, I will die for them. So come being thankful in gratitude and graciousness towards your Savior Jesus Christ, who doesn't just save you, but actually allows you to pursue mission with Him and says, I'm going to use you to reach the city and have the heart broken for the city. And so I ask that you simply take Take these songs. They're, they're designed for this purpose. This is your chance to respond to what Jesus is doing in your heart. So as you take, repent. Say you're sorry. Ask Jesus about your plan. And then once we finish our service, we're going to ask those four people to come up and represent the parts of the city. And you go and you pray with them. They're not going to pray for you. They're going to lead you in prayer, and you need to pray this. So let's worship together.